Hello, everyone. I'm Jenna Filipkowski, and you're listening to a new episode of the Human Capital Institute's Nine to Thrive HR. This podcast features experts and practitioners in the field of human resources and brings their knowledge of the most pressing issues facing human capital management straight to you. Today, I'm joined by Ben Weber. He's the president and co-founder of Humanize, and he's going to be a keynote speaker at HCI's Learning and Leadership Development Conference, which will be hosted this September. Nice to talk to you, Ben. Good to be here. And we're very excited to have you present at our conference this September, and your session title is The Role of Organizational Health and Analytics to Drive Leadership Development. So just to throw maybe a softball to you, what do you mean by organizational health and why is it so important? Yeah, I should be able to answer that question. hopefully. (laughs) Um, But it, it is an important question, though, because ironically, I do think this term organizational health is thrown around a lot. But, but I think a, a lot of times there's not a lot of clarity about what that means. And, and to be fair, it does mean different things to different people. But the way that I would at least define it and what you know, at least I'll be discussing in some more detail um, is just thinking of organizational health as a company's ability to, to unify around a common vision, to, to function effectively, um, and to, to really create innovation internally. Um, but but then diving a little bit deeper into that, thinking of that still somewhat soft concept as composed of different classes of behaviors that are, are measurable that really make up this concept of organizational health in a way that can be understood uh, very deeply. Thinking about things like employee engagement, which in my sense, I'm talking a lot less around what people answer on a survey, although that is obviously useful. Um, and much more around trying to quantify the behaviors and communication patterns showing that employees are embedded within their organization in terms of being really immersed in a network, that they have a number of strong connections to other people in the workplace, um, and that their work style is not overloaded, that they're not, um, again, in work days that are overly long or uh, working a ton over the weekend. But you can also look at things like productivity, um, and really team productivity, not as much around individual output, but trying to quantify the the quality output in a specific amount of time, really looking at the flexibility of communication networks and how people spend time within the organization so that as new challenges arise, is it likely that the organization uh, has the capacity to quickly output, um, again, just higher quality work? Um, again, not really banging out reports or emails, but really collaborating a lot more effectively, because especially in organizations today, that's really what we're aiming for. It's not so much person A doing a lot more work and us being happy that they wrote 20 reports instead of 15. It's can we work together so that I make 20% of my colleagues 10% more effective? And I think the last thing that I'd like to touch on is this area of adaptability. And again, this is distinct from this notion of agility, which I also think is somewhat soft, and we can talk about that, Uh, but really trying to understand how quickly and efficiently organizations can change their work conditions. So if you think about um, the networks that exist within companies or how we spend our time, there's a question of, you know, I might talk to people in many different social groups within the company, but if it's always the same people, then if one of those people leave, if one of them gets sick, uh, it it becomes a very brittle network. 
and our ability to function is just really inhibited. And, and so we can't respond to changing conditions as quickly. And so really looking at that capacity, right? do does it look like the social structure of the company changes uh, significantly over time? And similarly, can you see changes in the way that people um, spend their time? Um, and, and so again, these are these are things where, you know, I know I talked, got into maybe a little bit in the weeds there, but I think this is important to emphasize because there are these higher level topics and higher level, uh, really the higher level importance of organizational health has been demonstrated. I mean, there's decades of research on this. What is interesting now is that there are some ways to get at large chunks of what this amorphous concept means uh, through focusing in on some hard metrics that uh, the vast majority of companies could actually start to um, keep track of themselves. Thank you. That, that's super helpful. I'm a, I'm a researcher too. And part of our research agenda last year was trying to deconstruct what we mean by these concepts we use all the time. So for example, like executive presence or culture fit or being strategic. So I thank you for that clarification of what organizational health means and the, the hard metrics that you can assign to that. And it's clear that you're you really understand this topic. And I'm curious too, in terms of your background and your experience, why is this ideas and these topics important to you? I didn't originally start my academic career thinking that this is what I was going to focus on. I mean, I was doing uh, my undergraduate, my master's degree, I'm actually at Boston University, um, where I was focusing on computer vision research and actually making interfaces for people with disabilities. Um, but a lot of the papers that I was reading um, towards the end of my master's were around the importance of networks and the importance of that structure in terms of predicting things like depression or things like epidemic modeling um, and increasingly things like organizational performance. And it turned out that one of the sort of the top researchers in the field at the time, um, this guy Sandy Pentland um, at the Media Lab at MIT, was this was his area. So I was fortunate enough to to get into his group uh, for my PhD. And as we started that research, originally we were really focused on understanding interactions and networks within the lab. We would use sensors to try to look at who was talking to who to figure out who's going to win that salary negotiation or who's going to end up going out on a date, like a speed dating scenario. Um, and you could do really, really well. You could predict who's going to go out on a date with something like 85 plus percent accuracy, um, not based on what people said, but just based on the dynamics of those interactions um, and based on even the networks within some of these events. And so a person from Sloan at the time, a person from the business school at MIT, actually saw the research we were doing and approached us and said, you know, listen, I'm actually studying a major bank in Germany and we're collecting all their email data. Again, not content, but sort of who communicates with who. We're doing daily surveys of performance and job satisfaction. But I really feel like if we could merge in data about face-to-face interaction, if we could use uh, some of these sensors to look at the face-to-face network, we could gain a really holistic perspective on how work happens and what really drives positive outcomes. So that sounded really interesting. And um, we ended up going to Germany, collecting a lot of, again, sensor data on face-to-face interaction, in addition to this uh, you know, email communication data, this calendar data. And we wrote a paper based on the results because it turned out we could predict performance really, really accurately, six times more accurately than all this other traditional um, you know, HR data, um, even past performance data put together. And we sent this paper to the executive team at the bank because they had 
obviously let us do the study. And it was really eye-opening because they, they, they saw the results and said, wow, this is great. Um, we're going to plan a reorg entirely based on this analysis. And, you know, this was a, a paper that a couple of grad students had wrote. And this multi-billion dollar company was changing how they were managing the business based on that analysis. And I just, I guess, always assumed that when companies made big people decisions, of course, they must run lots of tests and collect lots of data, um, which is, of course, not how they do these things, right? That it's some executive reads an article about what some cool tech company does, and they say, well, they're cool. We should do the same thing as them. Um, And that is like legit crazy. So over the course of my PhD, what we were doing was going to more and more companies and trying to learn more and more aspects of behavior that really mattered in terms of of retention in terms of performance and building up from this low-level data collection from sensors about the real world, from email and chat and calendar to, to really understand deeply what's going on. And by the end of our PhDs, I mean, there were literally, we were actively changing how companies were being managed based on our analyses. And we could prove that there were thousands of people who measurably, you know, liked their jobs better, uh, who made more money and, and their companies made more money because of what we did. And, and that was worth my time. When we started the company, we, we're now at the point where I can provably say there are hundreds of thousands of people uh, who, again, spend more time um, actually outside of work, but they make more money, that they're, they're less stressed because, because of our technology. You know, and, and we've been you know, fortunate enough to, to win a whole bunch of awards for this, which has been nice. And um, my book did pretty well. Um, and you know, it's uh, the sort of thing where the core team that uh, started working on this back at MIT. I mean, we've been doing this together 14 years. We're still all the company. Um, and I, I think we're, we're doing this because we, we really do care about it. Um, we really do feel like providing some hard metrics on organizational health is something that if we don't do this, it's going to be a long time before someone else can do that effectively. And so uh, we really do feel like we're um, making an impact there and, and want to, want to keep doing that. That's awesome. It sounds like a, a very wild ride too, in terms of your career and, and the turns it's made. That That's fantastic. And I could definitely tell your passion for it. Um, and, and to get a little more tactical, I'm, I'm interested to know what kind of tools and measures do you use in your work and particularly those around leadership development? It's an important question because there, there are a lot of tools. I guess we don't have, you know, eight hours to discuss this. It's definitely a longer discussion. Um, you know, obviously core to what, um, to what I do is, is workplace analytics. And, and that's really around gathering data from think communication systems, enterprise apps in office sensors to understand how work happens. Um, and then using that as a lens into different aspects of organizational behavior. And of course, leadership development, um, is one of those things. And, and it's particularly interesting to me when we look at a topic like leadership development, there's, of course, again, decades of work on different kinds of assessments. Um, obviously, there's lots of different assessments of varying degrees of quality. There are a number of well-validated, you know, good assessments that are done to, um, to help try to understand leadership behaviors and their effectiveness. What's interesting is the behavioral lens onto those findings. And in a number of companies, um, and this one major pharmaceutical company I'm thinking of in particular, I mean, actually last year, started trying to tease apart, well, we know, you know, leaders who are rated highly, 
but they're actually rated highly on different aspects of their work. Some leaders are rated highly by um, by their peers and by their their bosses. Um, some are rated highly by their team, and some are rated highly by both. And there's a question of, well, what do they actually do in terms of behaviors? What do they do differently? And you could pretty clearly distinguish these three different groups. The people who are rated, uh, again, as, as high potential leaders by, by their peers or by their superiors, um, again, they tended to spend a lot more time with those people, right? Their networks were a lot more focused and they were a lot more embedded in networks where of these um, people higher up in the organization, right? Um, on the other hand, people who are rated much more highly by their by their teams, um, they, again, had networks that were more embedded with their teams specifically, um, as well as the fact that their teams were a lot less overworked. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying underworked. I'm saying specifically overworked. People who, um, again, were rated highly only by folks um, higher up in the chain or by their peers, um, their teams uh, had a significant percentage of folks who were overworked. And that was not true for people who were just rated, um, again, below that. Um, on the other hand, people who were rated highly by both, which was, this was a much smaller group, but it's still significant. I mean, this is a Fortune 500 company. There's still hundreds of people in, in that group alone. Um, they had this very interesting balance where they had a much more egalitarian network in terms of it wasn't more heavily weighted towards um, different parts of the hierarchy or different uh, different departments. Um, but they were able, I think what was really clear is they, of course, have many, many competing priorities. And they were able to manage their time very, very effectively. And this is something we see across, um, again, a lot of different uh, types of organizations as well in terms of effective leaders, where this, there's this really important piece on the network side, but there's also a really important piece on the time management side in that these folks heavily batched their time. And what I mean by that is they had, if they had meetings scheduled, um, they would be one after the other, um, but then they'd have big blocks of time that were open. And so whether they were using it for focus work or informal interaction, um, it was much more uh, likely to be um, these contiguous periods of time um, rather than split up. Um, and again, there's a lot of research from people like, you know, Mark over at UC Irvine, who's shown that that seems to be really effective in terms of just getting individual work done. But I think what we've also seen is that from a leadership perspective, that can be extremely effective because it helps these people not just, you know, manage and lead their own teams, but then have time for this informal interaction to help them um, really bridge different parts of the organization uh, from a social perspective. That's very interesting. And I know you're going to have a lot more to share, but if you could just maybe give us a little teaser or think about some ideas or lessons or insights that our conference attendees can take away and thinking about like the practical, like things they can use in their everyday lives as an HR professional or an L&D professional. I guess I really want to emphasize that because of technology, the digital tools we have at our disposal now, really organizational health can be measured just much more meticulously um, than it could be, you know, a decade or two ago. And what that means is things like using surveys or passing out questionnaires, those are still useful, but it, it's no longer enough. And it's really not going to provide the kind of really detailed information that's going to be needed to make a systemic change 
on how companies are managed and really on their organizational health. And really by introducing some of these topics within the context of workplace analytics, trying to show what is the potential impact of that and what are ways to get started um, quickly so that you can initially make that impact and really get the organization on a path uh, to being a lot more effective and a lot healthier. I love that. And thank you for joining us today. I appreciate talking to you. I'm excited to hear your presentation. I really enjoyed it. If you'd like to hear more from Ben, please join us at our Learning and Leadership Development Conference by registering online. Head over to hci.org. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed your time with us. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in.